Hey everyone, this is Christian Verwijs. I'm one of the liberators. And this is our first experiment with reading a blog post that we've written before. Now, if you're like me, I like to listen to blog posts as audio recordings when I'm on a bicycle or when I'm in public transport. And we want to make it easier for you to access our content. So in this first experiment, we will be reading a blog post on five questions to ask yourself before writing any code. And this post has been written with my own background as a developer in mind. So these are the questions that I asked myself or that the developers in my development teams asked me or that we asked each other before starting to write any code. And I'll be reading the blog post and I'll add the URL at the end of this recording. Writing code is like finding your path through a dark forest. Behind each tree can lurk a monster, a treasure or a pit. Or there's no path at all. You don't know until you look. For me, this attitude encapsulates the essence of writing software empirically. A developer culture is one where this kind of thinking is enabled and encouraged. It values an empirical approach to every level of development. It encourages the active exploration of ways to shorten the feedback loop even further and deliver value even faster. I know this sounds nice in theory, but how does this translate into the practice of actually writing code? In this recording, I share five questions or cognitive strategies that I find helpful to ask before starting the development of a feature, a piece of functionality, or fixing a bug. And to focus this recording a bit more on the how, I will assume that the feature you're building is actually something that's valuable and relevant in the first place, and that it requires at least some amount of code. But these are obviously also vital questions you should ask yourself before even considering how you're going to build something. The first question you should always ask yourself is, what is the purpose, really? I strongly believe that you shouldn't write code before you at least understand the purpose of what you intend to create. Although this might seem obvious, a lot of developers practice a style of gung-ho coding that leaves little time for this. And this includes me. In my eagerness to write code, I often forget to take a step back first and look at the big picture before I start working. It's a bit like starting to write a book without having at least a basic sense of the story you want to tell, or indeed venturing into a dark forest without first considering why you're going into that forest in the first place. If you don't take this step back, you will end up writing a lot of code that isn't necessary or useful. Now, I'm not suggesting you should analyze everything until you have every detail nailed down. Writing code, even fixing a simple bug, is complex work and involves a lot of assumptions and setbacks that you can only discover and validate as you do the work. You don't know these things or what's behind the tree until you actually look. So you have to allow yourself to explore how to achieve the purpose as you write the code. Before writing code, I always want to make sure I can comfortably and easily complete the following two sentences of layman's in layman's terms. The first one is, this feature or product backlog item or code exists in order to. And the second question is, I will know that I've implemented it successfully when I. 
This is also an excellent reason why pairing up with someone else is so valuable, as it allows you to actually have a conversation about these questions together. And if you don't have that opportunity, you can always try to explain it to your plant, your cat or your rubber duck. It sounds funny, but the mere act of explaining it to someone, or in this case something else, helps your mind make sense of things. It creates sort of a chronology of your thinking, and it helps to understand what you're trying to achieve. And once you have an understanding of the purpose, you can start thinking about the steps that you know of right now that are required to achieve that purpose. The second question to ask yourself is, what steps are involved in achieving that purpose? In order to discover the steps required for a purpose, I find it helpful to tell or draw the story of a feature in terms of its timeline. First something happens, and then after which, followed by finally, and so on. Again, this is something that works best when you pair up with someone else to actually have this conversation. For example, we recently implemented a feature that automated the process of editing a video to have a nice intro and outro, and uploading it to YouTube. Our initial understanding of the timeline was that First, a user should be able to upload a video through a web-based form for further processing. Then we have to pick one of the five intros and one of the four outros. After which we have to merge the uploaded video with the intro before and the outro after. Which is followed by uploading the merged video to YouTube using an API token. And finally, we have to inform the user when the merge and upload is successful or not. But as we did the work, additional steps emerged while writing this code, such as, first, an upload has to be registered with YouTube to receive a URL to upload the video to. Then we have to upload the video to that URL. After which, we have to clean up temporary files left over by the merge to avoid the server from clogging up with all these leftover files. As you can see, thinking about a feature in terms of its timeline helps to break down a larger piece of functionality into a series of connected bits of functionality. Some of these could even be implemented on their own, while others can be skipped completely. And this is where the next question becomes invaluable. The third question to ask yourself is, what steps are most critical to the purpose and nag you the most? In a gung-ho world, we would go ahead and start writing code. But writing code is fraught with unpredictable problems that can heavily impact the feasibility and the time it takes to write it. So inspired by the Kinefin framework, it is helpful to write small bits of code that act as probes, each illuminating as much of the dark forest as possible. In order to find what lurks in the darkness of the code you still have to write, it is helpful to consider which steps nag you the most. Behind which tree is it most likely that you will find a monster or a pit? These are the steps that I often find myself revisiting on autopilot while taking a shower or before trying to fall asleep. In my example, we found ourselves thinking about two things most of the times. How do you merge three videos with C-sharp code on Linux and how do you upload a large video to YouTube? We considered the first to be the most critical. If we couldn't pull that off within a short period of time, 
and with relatively few lines of code, the amount of effort involved in the entire feature probably wouldn't be worth it. As it turned out, it took only two hours to write a prototype that could run FFmpeg and merge three video files into one. Initially, this was just a simple console application with about 100 lines of code, way too long. But once we knew that the code worked, we started to refactor it out into smaller specialized classes. Probes don't have to involve writing code. For uploading a video to YouTube, we were most worried about authentication and the complexity of YouTube's API, and not so much about writing C-sharp code to talk with their REST API. So instead we fired a postman to talk directly to their API and get a sense of what was involved. When we got that working, it was easy to translate the message exchange into C-sharp code that did the same thing. You'll notice that each of these probes are essentially short feedback loops. And this leads us to the next question. The fourth question to ask is, what is the smallest piece of functionality that I can deploy to production to achieve part of the purpose? It's tempting to keep running local probes, but one of the most important probes we have for illuminating the dark forest of the code we still have to write is to actually deploy something to a production environment and make it available to users. This is the most realistic and most complete feedback loop we can achieve. And the faster we do it, the faster we learn about what else is necessary. So I always ask myself, which steps represent the smallest piece of well-designed, high-quality functionality that can be deployed to production? For my example, with the video upload, the purpose of the feature was to automate a manual process. The most tedious part of that process was the merging of three videos, which required specialized video editing software on the laptops of users, in this case, Barry and me. So we started by first building a form that allowed us to upload and submit a video for merging. Because this process took quite some time, we made it asynchronous. When the merge was done, sometimes even 30 to 60 minutes later, we would receive an email with a link to download the merged video. From here, we still had to manually upload the video to YouTube, but this already resolved 75% of the manual work. We implemented the rest later. Building this first part required about four to five hours, after which value was delivered to us and a lot was learned about what else was needed. Once we had deployed this first full cycle probe, we started to refactor the code base. The working code was separated into more specialized classes and projects. Code that was initially duplicated for the purpose of rapid development was removed or moved into shared NuGet packages. We also improved the architecture by pulling code for merging videos into its own microservice that connected with the other services through a message queue that made it more robust to intermittent failures. Every commit on the Git repository was automatically deployed to production provided all tests passed. Each iteration of refactoring took about at most one hour, um, followed by an automated deployment of a couple of minutes. In the rare instances where we noticed unusual behavior in a microservice, a fix was deployed soon after. Now this is just an example. The steps are entirely contextual and dependent on the feature in the application. 
but there are some commonalities that I think apply everywhere. The first one is that you can always ask yourself, what is the smallest bit of functionality that we can safely deploy to production? Or what is the simplest yet flexible architecture that allows us to achieve the purpose? And when is this functionality successfully deployed? What is the first thing we should refactor to improve the code and or architecture? And finally, in case of a disaster, how can we recover as quickly as possible? The fifth and final question in this blog post is, how can we make our feedback loop even simpler, faster, and more robust? It is immediately obvious that this empirical approach to writing software requires automation to be feasible. If testing and deployment have to be done manually each time, we are bound to start making excuses for not doing it. And by not sending out small probes, we don't learn or limit the risk of wasting time and effort on something that turns out to be too difficult or not useful to users. So I'm always looking for ways to make it easier, simpler and safer to deploy to production. A couple of years ago, I was working with a team on connecting an application to a remote API for exchange information that resulted in financial payouts. This remote API was not under our control and the people responsible for it were generally hard to reach. It could take hours, on occasion even days, to receive feedback on whether or not our message had been processed correctly or what caused an error to be returned. What worried me the most was that this slow build test feedback refactor cycle would take too much time, meaning we would simply skip certain tests or improvements for convenience or laziness. So as an experiment, I spent one weekend to write a simple facade over the remote API that implemented the same protocols for the handful of messages we were already exchanging. Instead of talking directly to the remote API, we configured our applications to talk to my facade instead. A simple web interface showed traffic and allowed us to relay messages to the remote API, repeat them when an initial attempt failed, receive responses and send mocked responses to our applications for testing purposes. Over time, this facade proved so useful that it grew into a gateway of its own, with support for many kinds of messages, advanced routing and a management interface that was very helpful during sprint reviews. And this is also a hint if you're one of those development teams that has to do a lot of API work. Build something like this so that you can demonstrate your done increment at the end of a sprint. So what are my concluding thoughts? In this recording, I shared five questions that I find helpful before venturing into the dark forest of code yet to write. In a developer culture, asking these questions is encouraged and supported. Let me know if you find them helpful. And perhaps you have other questions that work well for you. Please let me know in the comments or reach out to me. I'm always eager to hear your experiences. If you like this recording, you may also be interested in joining our upcoming workshop on developer culture in February 12th in 2020. Together with a large group of experienced developers, we will develop and share more strategies like the ones in this recording. And we will work together to explore what else is required to create a developer culture that values asking exactly these kinds of questions and creating the opportunities to put them into practice. Because we strongly believe that Scrum and Agile are just words when developers don't know how to do these things. 
Now, if you want to know more about this or some of the other events and workshops we organize, please check out theliberators.com events. There's a very nice overview of upcoming classes and events, as well as information about what, it, what the price is and how many places there are left. The workshop on developer culture will take place on February 12th in Amsterdam, and we're organizing this with a group of experienced developers. So we hope to see you there. And I really hope you enjoyed this recording of a blog post that we wrote for the liberators. And we're hoping to see you back for our next recording. Thank you very much for listening.